Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of April 13th through the 19th. Hope that you are doing well out there and recovering from the Libra full moon. This week, we have a square from the sun to Pluto at 24 degrees of Aries and Capricorn, respectively, on Tuesday the 14th. Uh, on the same day, we'll be experiencing the last quarter moon uh, from Capricorn to Aries at 25 degrees. On Wednesday, the 15th, Mercury will be making a conjunction with Chiron at 6 degrees of Aries. The Sun will square Jupiter at 25 degrees Aries and Capricorn. And then on Saturday, the 18th, Mercury makes a few sextiles, one to Venus in Gemini, the other to Mars in Aquarius. And then finally, Sunday, the 19th, the Sun will be moving into the fixed Earth sign of Taurus. Uh, some new decans that we have this week. Mars will be moving into the second decan of Aquarius, which has some correspondences with the Six of Swords. Uh, Mercury will be moving into Aries II, where it has some relationship with the Three of Wands. And then Venus will be moving into the second decan of Gemini, where it has correspondence with the Nine of Swords, according to the Golden Dawn and the Rider Waite system. Okay. Let's take a look at our chart. Everyone doing all right out there today? Did you recover from uh, your, <laughs> your, your Venus being in malefic enclosure? Um, Mercury is breaking that up right now. So um, I'll show you in the chart here. And if you're listening, I'll try to narrate as best I can. So we see that the sun starts off at 23 degrees of Aries this, this week and moves to zero degrees of Taurus changing from the cardinal fire sign of spring to the fixed earth sign. Uh, and then uh, it is losing dignity, though. So here we see that the sun at 23 degrees of Aries is in its exaltation. It is the triplicity, rulership, er, triplicity ruler of the fire signs by the daytime. Uh, the only problem that we have with the sun this week beyond being in square with Pluto and Jupiter, is that it is in the terms of two malefic planets. It will be in the terms of Mars from 20 to 25 degrees, and then the terms of Saturn from 25 to 30 degrees. And if you followed along with the show in the past, uh, you will have learned that bound lords that are malefic are more tougher teachers. They are trying to set a curriculum or an expectation of etiquette for the planet. And if let's back up even one step further bounds are five degree divisions of each sign and each have a non-luminary planet that is ruling and setting that expectation of curriculum and etiquette so when we see a planet that's moving through the final degrees of a sign um, roughly the last i don't know 10 to 10 to 8 degrees of a sign uh, it's going to usually be in the terms of a malefic planet mars or saturn and those can be a little bit rougher waters for us to sail through. Um, when the sun moves into Taurus, it does lose its exaltation and triplicity dignity, um, but it does gain a better bound lord in the very early part of the sign. It'll be in the terms of Venus from zero to eight degrees. So even though the sun is peregrine in Taurus, it is going to be in a, a, a place where the, the taskmaster is a little bit more lenient in the beginning. Now. That being said, the sun is going to start to move into a square with Saturn 
and a conjunction with Uranus almost immediately upon entering Taurus. So there is definitely issues that are going to be coming up with that placement. Um, it's also going to be in a whole sign square with Mars when it moves into Taurus as well. But we will discuss that when we get to our dailies. Okay, Saturn is in the first decade of Aquarius still this week, moving from one degree and 30 and 19 minutes to one degree and 36 minutes. Uh, Saturn moves very slow. Uh, you saw that the sun moved about eight degrees this week, uh, seven or eight degrees, and the Saturn is only moving about half a degree, if, if that, okay? Uh, Saturn in Aquarius is the um, domicile ruler of that particular sign. Uh, it also has triplicity dignity by the day. It is the triplicity ruler of the air signs by day. Uh, Saturn will be moving through the terms of Mercury from zero to seven degrees, and uh, yeah, very powerful Saturn this week. Uh, it is part of the two to three year period that we're going through where we're going to be restructuring our relationship to uh, the agreed upon rules of our culture and of our societies. So we've been talking about that as we've been going along with our 2020 forecasts, but uh, this is something where the the themes of isolation and of, of of exile are going to be very prominent with Saturn in that placement. Jupiter is moving through the third decade of Capricorn, uh, where it will be moving from 25 to 26 degrees this week. It is still in its fall, where it is at the bottom of the Wheel of Fortune, and in a position where it's not able to bring about the abundance and the good fortune that it normally would be able to if it was in better better shape. Um, a lot of the significations with Jupiter are fairly corrupted right now or blocked when you have the uh, planet of growth, life, and abundance in the temple of death uh, and contraction and of winter. So it, it is a difficult time for Jupiter right now. Jupiter is moving through the terms of Saturn from 22 to 26 degrees and then moving into the terms of Mars from 26 to 30 degrees. So again, a similar condition to the sun right now where Jupiter is moving through uh, the, the last degrees of a sign and has malefic bound lords who are tougher teachers and have more of an expectation where you have to follow these, these certain rules or the consequences potentially may be more severe. All right. Venus is moving through the Mercury-ruled temple of Gemini this week. Uh, it will be moving from, oh, let's see here, 8 degrees of Gemini to 13 degrees, changing decanic rulership. It will be on the terms of Jupiter from 6 to 12 degrees, and then the terms of Venus from 12 to 17 degrees. Um, so it gains a little bit of dignity as it moves into the, the second decan of Gemini, uh, where it will be able to function a little bit better on its own terms and kind of set its own curriculum. The other thing about the improvement of the condition of Venus this week is that it's being, it was busted out of its malefic enclosure by the rays of Mercury. Uh, and Mercury, of course, has improved its condition this week, moving out of exile and fall in Pisces and moving into the sign of the ram, Aries. Uh, Mercury will be moving through the terms of Jupiter from 0 to 6 degrees, then the terms of Venus from 6 to 12, 
And then on its own terms, Mercury from 12 to 20 degrees. So there isn't any particular uh, essential dignity in Aries beyond being on its own terms, but it is out of its stability, which is a much improved condition. And as we talked about last week, that Mercury ray okay, is breaking up the malefic enclosure that Venus was as it was casting its trine ray in between Saturn and Mars, where it was being basically held captive between the two malefics. Um, so if you experienced any bumpy, ro rocky patches over this last full moon cycle um, in your relationships or in your communications, um, you can thank Saturn and Mars for that uh, and, and having Venus, holding Venus captive, basically. And basically, when Venus is held captive, it's very difficult to harmonize our communication and our relationships. A lot of the significations of Venus are being held in check. Now, when Mercury moved out of Pisces and into Aries, it was sending an intercepting ray once it moved into one degree Aries that was breaking up the relationship between Saturn, Venus, and Mars. So it was like it was getting a little boost of energy uh, and like kind of busting up that, that, uh, that cocoon that we put Venus in. All right, Mars is going to be in the Saturn-ruled domicile of Aquarius, moving from uh, 9 degrees to 14 degrees, and we'll be switching into the second decan on Tuesday, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Mars is peregrine in the sign of Aquarius, and it will be moving through the terms of Venus from 7 to 13 degrees, and then the terms of Jupiter from 13 to 20 degrees. So we've got some benefic bound lords for Mars which is somewhat of a benefit, I think. Uh, the, moon, the moon will be waning from a disseminating phase. Uh, it will be waning to the last quarter, which is an existential point of crisis, where we might be reevaluating and reflecting on our lives and our recent um, experiences at the full moon and the Aries new moon cycle in general. Uh, whatever divine assignment we are given at the new moon, we will be reflecting on how it came to fruition at the full moon and how it is being distributed out into the world. Uh, we will see a balsamic moon at the end of the week where we're going to be having a very, just a sliver of moon that is being reduced uh, as it comes close to becoming new again uh, in the sign of Taurus. So uh, the dignity for the moon this week is it will start out in Capricorn in its exile uh, where it has triplicity rulership by nighttime of the earth signs. When the moon is in Aquarius. It will have dignity by face in the third decan between 20 and 30 degrees of Aquarius. And then it will be peregrine in the sign of Pisces. So that is your essential dignity report for this week. Let's dive in to the dailies. Everybody doing okay? Y'all hanging in there? Did you survive the malefic enclosure of Venus at the full moon and the, uh, <laughs> the square? of the moon in Scorpio to Mars, which was the first aspect that the moon made after it got out of, from being under the bond. <sighs> I think everybody's getting a little tired of being in their houses and, you know, I definitely saw like as much as everyone loves everyone, 
that there's been more, a lot of people I've talked to, and in my own experience where, you know, you get to that point where you've been around your, your family or you're, you're bored enough where you just, little things that normally wouldn't get to you are starting to get on your nerves and things like that. Um, that's when we really get to practice our patience and our grace, right? Is when we uh, are being tested and, you know, we're kind of at our wits end sometimes. Um, so we're taking a look at Monday here, the 13th. And the, one of the biggest, the biggest things that we're experiencing this week is the sun coming into a square with both Pluto and Jupiter. Now, before that happens, the moon is going to make a square to Mercury at three degrees of Capricorn to three degrees of Aries. So we may have some, you know, residuals from our weekend and our, and our, uh, the sun coming into connection with both Pluto and Jupiter. Uh, th that's what we've been experiencing over this weekend here is kind of a, you know, I don't know, an uncomfortableness with the sun exposing some of our, the corruption to the light of day. Uh, remember that last decade of Capricorn was where all the action happened with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, with Jupiter being there, with the eclipse that happened earlier in the year. Uh, and that last decade is all about um, the hierarchy and administration of power and the systems that we are a part of. Um, and we're really seeing a lot of the, the decay uh, being brought to light. Um, I know just in, you know, the difficulty of this weekend, um, there's been definitely some, an uptick in some challenging conversations uh, on social media and a lot of decay that has come to light in different communities that have online that I've been a part of. And um, yeah, it's just a really interesting time. And a lot of things that were buried underneath the surface that people weren't aware of have become um, more uh, recognized and, and dealt with, I mean, in, in the way that the community does. A lot of the communities online are self-policing, I guess you could say. And um, that may be the, the way that th these things go. Um, if you are part of some kind of group or organization and a member of that organization uh, violates some of those, I don't know, unspoken or spoken bylines of how to you know, treat people with respect, um, then sometimes it's necessary to either cut ties or to, uh, I don't know, like figure out a solution. And I definitely saw some of that come up this week and this weekend in particular. So I think that's part of that, this Sun-Pluto thing is there's going to be a lot of situations in our life where we may be dealing with something bubbling to the surface. Okay. Now, the moon is also trining Uranus at 6.36 a.m., sorry, on Monday the 13th, and then making a square to the planet, or the asteroid, sorry, the asteroid Chiron. I don't normally include that in my forecast, but I thought it was interesting because that's similar, very close to the degree of where the new moon was. So there may be some residuals, things cropping up from uh, this, this lunar cycle that may have to be dealt with as the the moon makes contact with that point yet again and they may be about communicating uh ident identity a lot of this this moon cycle has been about how do we craft an identity when we are being challenged by 
the um, the structures of society and the isolation that we're experiencing and being cut off from our normal uh, modes of expressing ourselves and having to find new and innovative ways to be individuals uh, outside of the norm, outside of our uh, familiar routines and places that we are normally a part of and find meaning in. So that's something that we're going we're gonna to be reflecting upon this week as we move through the, the last quarter moon phase. Um, remember, this, is, this last quarter moon phase is really about kind of absorbing all the lessons and all of the experiences of the, of the moon cycle and kind of preparing ourselves for a new start. So there's uh, a period of, of letting go. There's a period of trying to integrate the things that we learned and then let go of the things that no longer serve us. Um, waxing, waxing moons are a great time to start things and to bring things into being. Waning moons are a great time to reflect and to uh, get rid of stuff. And sometimes the things that we get rid of are material and sometimes they're, they're thoughts. Sometimes they're ideas. Sometimes they're people on your friend list and social media. You know, uh, there's all sorts of ways that you can be purging during a waning moon. Um, so anyway, uh, as we move into Tuesday, mostly Monday is going to be a, a, a more of an intensification of the things that are going to perfect on Tuesday. So I'm going to move to Tuesday and you can kind of keep Monday in context of Tuesday. So as we move into Tuesday, April 14th, a couple things are going to happen. So first of all, Mars is going to be moving into the second decan of Aquarius. So that is one point of emphasis. Okay, that happens around 2 a.m. That is a Mercury-ruled decan. Uh, and it is has a correspondence with the Six of Swords in the Rider-Waite Tarot. And in the tarot card associated with it, you can see a figure who is ferrying a mother and a child across a river. And one thing that I've noticed, and I wanted to give you a little bit of insight that I've kind of come to, to think about when I've been exploring these decanic associations is each decan in each sign sort of falls into a similar pattern. And it, I think it kind of, uh, you can think of it in terms of the, the um, Joseph Campbell-esque hero's journey. Uh, in the first decan, in the first card associated with each decan, we see some kind of conflict or call to action. Um, and in The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is Joseph Campbell's uh, masterwork on, on um, you know, the hero's journey, uh, you, can t you can see a, an ordinary world that the hero is a part of. He, he's basically in his everyday normal world, and he has a call of act to action that happens. There's some event that um, causes him to go on some sort of journey or adventure. And here in the first decade of Aquarius, we see some kind of conflict where there was a winner and a loser. And oftentimes in our heroic stories, we definitely see a battle that takes place or a war or something. And the hero's journey begins after that war has ended. And he has to go off in search of something different and something new and pick up the pieces of his life. And this is kind of what we're experiencing here with Mars in the first decade of Aquarius. 
we had, we've had some conflicts that we've been going through that have caused us to feel exiled or go off in an, into intentional exile um, and basically separate ourselves from the herd. And as we move into the second decan of Aquarius, the second decan of, of signs and, and in the tarot generally show some kind of bridge or connection in the, in the story. As the hero leaves the ordinary world, he faces a number of trials and challenges. He meets with guides. He meets with uh, adversaries. At one point, the hero uh, finds himself in the belly of the whale or with the dark night of the soul. And as he overcomes these challenges, eventually he may gain some sort of knowledge or something literal like a sword or an elixir that he brings back with him to the ordinary world. So he goes to this place that Campbell calls the special world, something that is outside of the ordinary, something that is magical. And then he is able to return from that journey changed. So really what we're looking at is the process of change uh, thought of in a very mythological, um, uh, metaphorical way. And so when we see the bridge in the second decan of these signs, eventually in the third decan, we see a return with some sort of elixir or the result of the action. So we've got an action, we've got some kind of connecting action or connecting experience in the second decan, and then the result of that action potentially in the third decan. And in this card, we see the bridge between an exile and potentially someone who is part of the uh, accepted, um, well, I don't know, society. Uh, Austin Coppett calls this decan heaven and earth. Uh, Book T calls it earned success. Uh, I believe one of Book T or Book Toth calls it earned success. The other one calls it science. And the theme with this particular decan is being a bridge between those who are exiled the masses, and the, uh, or the, the individual that is exiled, and the masses that have some sort of accepted uh, collective agreement. You can also think of this, too, as bridging the gap between the king and the beggar. You can think of this as bridging the gap between uh, the divine and the mundane, and bringing something back. Let's say the divine is the special world, right? And you have a hero that ascends from his own mundane reality to some spiritual uh, realization and tries to bring that back to distribute to the people back down on earth. There's many stories of this. I mean, this today I'm recording this on Easter. So there's one story in the Bible of uh, Jesus's, I believe, didn't he spend, a, I'm not a biblical expert, so I'm a, Try not, I try not to feign my expertise on this, but uh, I believe, uh, and, and I believe Moses was another one who, who took a, a pilgrimage of sorts and went off into the desert. Uh, and I believe Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert and then returned home with some kind of vision. And this may be, I may be mixing my Jesus and Moses stories up, but I know that this is not an uncommon uh, thing. For many heroes, it doesn't have to be a biblical hero. It could be any type of hero that goes off on a journey and then comes back with some sort of spiritual realization. And I think this is really something that we're going to see in the second decan of Aquarius. Um, this may be something where we're trying to reconcile our conflict over our idealized notion of how things should be and the reality of, of how they are. So there may be conflicts, Mars, 
over things like uh, I don't know. We've been we've been seeing a rise in the the um, the consciousness about uh, class, and this is not something that has been is new. This has been happening from the time that human beings were recorded. History was the inequality of the of different class systems, and but this may be like an idealistic uh, battle over how do we create equality or in some people's opinions is should we even create equality so there's definitely um we're seeing this play out on on national and global scales is the the battle between the haves and the have-nots at this point it's it's the the noise on that is getting much much louder okay so this is a very fixed part of the zodiac though so whenever you have the middle of a fixed sign the middle decan it's it's kind of an immovable kind of position so if you do get into ideological conflicts this week with mars in the second decan of aquarius it may be more difficult to come to some kind of consensus because i think each of those individual people may be more fixed in their ideological perspective so that is a, a one a word of caution that i will give you with mars in this particular decan um but it, it could also foster an independence of thinking where you, the way your ideas are not necessarily following along with the, uh, the, the herd or with the, the, the lemmings, so to speak, who are, who are uh, falling off the cliff. You may be the one that says, you may be the lemming that's like, you know what, just because lemmings have always jumped off cliff, maybe I'm just going to turn around. You know, this might be a moment that you're having with Mars in the second decade of Aquarius. Um, so yeah, explore that with your, your own tarot deck if you have a Rider weight tarot deck too. Um, if you've been following along with some of my astrological associations with the tarot, um, you can see a narrative happen. You can see a story that unfolds as a, as a planet moves through these different decans. And in Aquarius, the story is a conflict that leads to potentially some kind of exile. And then there is a, a, a ferrying to some kind of new new reality and where they're trying to bridge that is a key word that that i i like to think about with this particular with, with second decans they're they're bridges right they're bridges to some kind of new reality or new result and then in the third decan of aquarius we see a figure who is leaving an encampment okay let's see if i can get them in the right order here for you He's leaving an encampment and, and taking with him, he's sneaking off into the distance with the sword. So we have some conflict where there's somebody who has left the uh, agreed upon reality behind. They're being ferried to some sort of new existence into the unknown. So this is about bridging the known and, and the unknown. This is a point in time with the second decan of Aquarius where we may be trying to uh, figure out where the heck we're going because there's a requirement of change and then in the third decade we're leaving what what is comfortable behind and taking with us what we uh what we've learned you can see this this uh, figure is sneaking off with some swords and he's looking back and kind of potentially reflecting on on what he's leaving behind and what he's taking with him but he's venturing off into the unknown so that's that's the point where we're leaving behind the establishment completely and making some kind of new start. And if you if you think about this even further into the uh, decanic story, 
the first decade of Pisces that comes after the th third decade of Aquarius, you see a figure wandering off into the mountains, leaving material reality behind in search of some kind of spiritual truth. So I just think that's a really interesting way of thinking of those decans. And you could see these kind of things repeated. Uh, I'll do the, a similar treatment of uh, the Gemini decans here too, uh, when we get to Venus. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about Tuesday. So that's what's going on with Mars. I'll clear my screen here. Now, the other thing that's going on uh, beyond a couple lunar aspects, the, the moon's going to be making a sextile to Neptune from 19 degrees Capricorn to 19 Pisces at 8.10 a.m. And then the moon's going to be conjoining Pluto at 6.01 p.m. Okay. Uh, the big aspect of the day... Two, two big aspects, actually, is first of all, we have a square between Pluto and the sun at 24 degrees of Capricorn for Pluto and 24 degrees of Aries for the sun. Almost simultaneously, later in the day, we have the moon conjoining that area Okay, making a conjunction with Jupiter and Pluto, as I've, I've said. Okay. And then squaring the sun as well. Okay. So that's important because I think the moon is that trigger point and it really like brings things into being or brings things out of being. So if we think about this as a waning moon, this may be a point of crisis where something is leaving our life or leaving our society or leaving our, our collective consciousness, consciousness uh, and is causing us to reevaluate um, what we've learned over the last lunar cycle. So we had a karmic seed that was planted at, I believe, four degrees of Aries at the new moon in Aries. We saw the moon travel. It made the first quarter square at Cancer. It made the opposition at Libra. Okay, and then it circled around at this point building. Well, it's not really building anymore. After the full moon, it begins to wane. Now it is waning to the last quarter phase. And, and then it wanes to the balsamic and then becomes new again in Taurus, okay? So that's like the basic, that's, that's moon cycle 101, right? So we have to think about what we're going to be experiencing on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the week with the last quarter phase. This is a, this is a point where I always like to describe these, and this is something that the, the wording I'm borrowing from Demetra George and her description of, of the lunar cycle and She's borrowing from Dane Rudyard, uh, existential crises, okay? Whereas the first quarter moon was about a material crisis of trying to bring something into being. The last quarter moon is about changing your mind and like saying, okay, how do I let go of this old pattern, material thing, system, and make way for the new start? And that can, that can be challenging. In the, in the beginning, in the first quarter one, we have to be problem solvers and we have to be heroic in the way that we, we 
rise to the occasion of the square. Mars is about taking action, right? And maybe when we have that first quarter square, we're taking some sort of action to bring something into being. We have to have courage. Now, when we have the last quarter square, that same energy has to happen. But maybe it's the courage to let go of an old habit or to let go of an old material structure that just has proven to have outlived its time. And it's, it's also a severing quality. It's an accelerating quality. Uh, this could be a point where we, you know, it's never comfortable to, to let something go, whether it's an idea or something physical. It can be liberating. That doesn't mean it's easy or comfortable. Uh, you may feel a sense of relief afterwards, but the actual process generally is painful. Okay, so let me get rid of all this stuff on my screen here. But that's, that's kind of the vibe. That's the mood of the week with the last quarter phase. And this is happening over the third decan of Capricorn and the third decan of, of Aries. Okay, so there may be some, something that is triggering this Sun-Pluto square as well, all right? And eventually we'll be triggering the Jupiter-Sun square. And what we've been dealing with with this Jupiter-Pluto conjunction in the last degrees of Capricorn for quite some time now is having to deal with uh, our power structures and resources and the corruption that has lived beneath the surface. And this has been playing out in our global and uh, national levels as far as seeing governments trying to deal with a collective crisis, Saturn in Aquarius, okay, or Saturn and Mars in Aquarius, if you want to get technical at this point. Because, but I think that we have to think about this just more in context of Saturn because Saturn's providing for Jupiter and Pluto right now. That's the host of Capricorn. So we've got this crisis, this collective Aquarian crisis that is isolating everyone. And we're trying to uh, bring some sort of relief or bridge or benefit to the, to the people or to the masses through Jupiter and Capricorn. But it is but being corrupted by, being, by Jupiter being in its fall by Jupiter not being able to function at its very highest. It's functioning from a point of debility right now. And anything that Pluto touches uh, intensifies that energy and also brings things up from the underworld to be dealt with, like a volcanic eruption. We had a literal volcanic eruption this past week with uh, the Indonesian volcano Krakatoa uh, erupted, uh, I get, believe for the first time in a few years. There was a very famous eruption at the turn of the last century, I believe, um, two centuries ago, right? Yeah, we had the turn of the century in 2000, but I'm talking about before that. Uh, so we're seeing the, uh, the decay of our hierarchical structures and of our leadership systems um, as we are experiencing a collective need. And there's been plenty of criticism of the response in various different governments. And there's questions of like uh, the needs of the few versus the needs of the many. There has been questions of uh, how much of our 
human rights do we need to temporarily give up uh, in, to take care of an uh, immediate crisis? Um, when will those rights return? How long will this all last? Things like that. Uh, are there people in power that are taking advantage of a crisis to push forth their own personal agendas? That, that's something we've been grappling with as well. Um, so these are all some of the collective themes that we're going to see uh, really exacerbated when we have the square to the sun. Okay, this is a point where we're really reevaluating how this all has been going so far. Now, there's seed moments for this. The sun conjoined Pluto at 22 degrees of Capricorn on the 12th of January, right when the coronavirus was getting, you know, becoming uh, aware of, made aware of in, in China. And there was a seed from the Jupiter, I'm sorry, the, the sun to Jupiter uh, conjunction that was around, I believe, around a similar time frame. Now, we are at the first quarter phase of the solar Pluto cycle, the sun-Pluto cycle. So here is an interesting synchronicity. We have the end of a lunar cycle, but we have the first quarter phase, the material crisis of the solar-Pluto relationship. So we may be reflecting this week on and having an existential crisis on how we're dealing materially with the pandemic. And, and just the common sense part of me would say that this is probably the point in time, if you aren't there already, where people are starting to just get frustrated. They've been in their houses a long time. They're probably starting to run out of resources. Uh, if you are, have been out of work, this may be the time where you, know, you may be struggling to pay your bills or to pay your rent. I know people are waiting for their stimulus checks and things like that, and there may be delays to that, and there may be, uh, that may be part of the conflict that we're experiencing. And we're going to see uh, more light, the sun, being shed on the, the corruption that is being exposed by the connection of Jupiter and Pluto. So this could be yet another moment on Tuesday and Wednesday in particular where we see more, uh, I don't know, more disappointing news come out. And I hate to be a bummer like that, but the astrology that we're living through is difficult right now. And I think if we acknowledge it and like tr not try to, um, I guess, sp spiritually bypass it or to like, be toxically positive about it. I read a really, there's a really cool meme I saw on toxic positivity. When we, when we try to like uh, wish everything away by ignoring it and say, oh, if you only just think positively, you can change your reality and all these things. I think a positive attitude is okay. And I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's great. If you're an optimist, that's fine. But there are certain times in life where you have to acknowledge that sometimes things are just difficult. It doesn't mean that you have to like um, give up, but sometimes th there's a difference between giving up and retreating or surrendering to the moment. Um, and I think I, I, I study the I, the I Ching a lot. Um, this is something my teacher and I 
Achyut Bhava have in common. We've both been studying I Ching for quite some time, and sometimes we'll consult the oracle to get some clarity. And, um, you know, one, one hexagram that came up this week for me was 33, which was retreat or withdraw. And a lot of things that it spoke about was a, a, a withdrawal with a, ret- a retreat is not necessarily giving in or giving up. It's sometimes it can be a momentary pause in the conflict to get a greater perspective or to get clarity. And I, I did want to share this because I thought this was cool. Um, one of the things that I thought I would follow suit and, and pick a theme for the week and the, the one, the hexagram that I got for the week was uh, number nine, which was called restraint. And it's, it, it speaks about a uh, dense clouds, but no rain is kind of the vibe of that. Okay. So it's kind of like a, a period of waiting. It's where like you have really strong uh, desires and impulses, but there's some external factor that you're not quite aware of yet that is holding, putting you into a holding pattern. And that can be kind of frustrating. And that and that's something where you just have to, to utilize your patience. Um, this is something where if you are able to uh, exercise patience, let things come to light and find clarity, the, it, this is moving in, in the reading that I did to the hexagram number 58, which is about, uh, it says it's encouraging or joy or enthusiasm, right? Uh, this is something where you may be able to find a little bit of a, an ability to find some hope again, I think. Um, but it may, be, it may take a little bit. It may take uh, getting more awareness of the facts. A lot of times when we suffer is when we make some assumptions about things. I keep coming back to those four agreements, uh, Don, Miguel, Ruiz. When we make assumptions about others and about uh, you know hierarchy and when we make assumptions about collective ideals without asking questions, that can be really dangerous. And I think it's important that if you're feeling confused about something, rather than imagining the worst case scenario, get curious. I mean, this is what Venus and Gemini loves to do. It loves to start a conversation and try to see a perspective from the other side and balance opposites or things that could be seen as, as very, very different and trying to bring them into harmony. Um, on a personal note, I have Venus in the second decade of Gemini, and it is something that I've always felt attracted to is bridging um, very different philosophical ideologies. Um, I, I've had contact in my life with, my, with a Venus in the 11th house of groups with many, many different types of people. And I've always at least tried to, to understand, if nothing else, where someone is coming from. That doesn't mean I condone their ideology, but if I can understand it, that might be the beginning of coming to some kind of consensus or bridging the gap between us. And I think that's really important. And just just to be clear, you don't necessarily have to agree with someone to understand their philosophical position. Okay, you don't, that's step one, you know, if, but you can't possibly come into a uh, philosophical harmony with somebody if you don't know first the core of where they are coming from. So I think that that is step number one. So I would encourage you this week to ask questions. 
If you're feeling upset about something, you're feeling afraid, ask more questions, get more information, try to find a reliable source. If you're having a conflict with a person in your life, try to, try to start, maybe start a dialogue if you can. I know that, that sometimes we get emotional about our dialogues and we aren't really uh, able to listen. I think that a dialogue begins by listening and by really, really allowing space for someone to express their perspective without uh, it triggering an automatic response, I guess, from, from you, right? And that's really difficult to do because a lot of times when we're trying to come into a negotiation with somebody, uh, we're coming into it because there's been conflict that is triggering strong emotions. And I think that might, might be another thing that we experienced this week is just the triggering of very strong emotions coming from all of these collective experiences that we're having and very, very different ideological perspectives on how we should be dealing with it. And uh, that's a tough one. That's something that, that wars have started over. That's something that um, you know, human beings have been trying to work on for as long as there's been recorded history, they've been trying to uh, weigh one way of doing something versus another. Okay, so that probably comes to that, but that part of it comes to a head at 7:06 a.m. The the sun square Pluto. Um, this could be another point where we see just some ruthlessness exposed in our collective through through some kind of conflict, and that ruthlessness is that Jupiter. Pluto conjunction in the last decades of, of Capricorn, where uh, power is being wielded in a way that uh, is sort of a might makes right kind of way, um, kind of a my way or the highway type of experience. And when it's meeting up with, with an airy sun, there's a, a commanding quality to it too. There's a, an urge to, to dominate. Uh, Robert Schmidt called the sun uh, the essence of commanding uh, and, and issuing orders. Right. If if Mars was action in its purest sense, the Sun is the one who issues the commands to take the actions. Right. Um, another thing that could be coming up is 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 greed being brought to light. This is a, a real theme with Jupiter and Capricorn with, and Pluto is is uh, people um, taking more than their fair share, and that's something we may have to deal with as a collective as well. Um, so. Be aware of the power structures. Uh, try to remember in the middle of this that it is part of a bigger unfolding. I had an astrologer friend that actually gave me a good pep talk before my uh, for my week ahead here, because uh, I don't know this is this is a tough weekend. I think I think everybody's feeling a little emotionally burnt out. You know, we had like the peak of the full moon, and then we're trying to recover, and as as a Cancerian sun, I've just been feeling a little burnt out, and sometimes it's a lot of takes a lot of emotional uh, wherewithal to um, do the work, the detail work necessary to be up to my own personal standards to do these forecasts. Sometimes, and and this astrologer friend uh, was talking about like, what do you think is going to happen with the Jupiter Saturn conjunction at the end of the year? And my response was, you know what, I don't really know for sure. Because there's so much life to live between now and then. There's so much more of the story 
that has to play out. I mean, in an ideal world, we could see a whole new, uh, a whole new society being formed. But that's not guaranteed. Uh, just because a, a society is different does not mean that it is idyllic. And what is ideal to one person may be another person's personal hell. So I do think that there is relative, relativism when it comes to that. And that's where we're going to have to kind of have conversations with, with, with people and figure out what the best balance is for the, for the most people involved. Um, I, I think that the, where I fall on the, you know, agree to disagree perspective is if your ideology is something that is an expression of your true self that is coming from a place of love and that is not, not causing harm to others, but it's not exactly the same way that my philosophical position that is coming from love that doesn't cause harm to others, we can agree to disagree. When it becomes an issue is when one person's philosophical ideological position denies or negates someone else's and causes harm or danger to that other person. That is when we have to deal as, with a society to, to, uh, to make changes and to um, protect people from that kind of thinking. That's when, then we, when we get things like fanaticism. Uh, when we have, uh, you know, I don't know, some of the darkest moments in our collective histories is when someone's idea, idea, ideas uh, put other people in danger. And I think that's something to reflect on. I want you to reflect on, does your personal ideology put other people in danger? Is it coming from a place of love or is it coming from a place of hate and division? Is it coming from a place of fear or is it coming from a place of wanting to unify with not just others, but potentially with the divine and come back to a place of wholeness? Because I really think that if more people were to consider those questions with when they were trying to figure out what kind of society we should share as a human society, I think we'd come out of it with one that was more just. I think we would come out of it with one that was more fair and equal and allowed more, more people to uh, have an authentic expression of who they are and what they believe. And do I have the answers to all that? I do not. <laughs> that is a tough, tough question. And all I can do is ask questions and be open to hear other people's perspective and then try to fit all the pieces together in my own mind and participate in the best way that I can in those con conversations, negotiations, and, and I don't know, collective movements or collective actions. Okay. So that's Tuesday. Um, yeah, the moon's going to trigger Jupiter around 7.47 p.m., and that's, uh, you know, that's like a continuation of our themes, right? Let's move to Wednesday. On Wednesday, April the 15th, the moon will be moving into Aquarius at 3.37 a.m. and will still be within that 
last quarter phase. So I'm going to move my chart here forward to, th to Wednesday. Okay. All right. And you can see now that the moon is in Aquarius. It's making a conjunction to Saturn. Um, Mercury simultaneously will be making a conjunction to Chiron. So that is something that is part of our narrative here as we see um, both the moon and Saturn making contacts to important uh, astrological positions. Um, the moon will also square Uranus when it moves to five degrees. Okay. And then sextile Mercury around six degrees, six or seven degrees. And that's towards the end of our day. And finally, the moon will trine Venus at 11.28 p.m. Now, concurrently with those lunar aspects, the big news of the day is that the sun will be making its square to Jupiter. And many of the theme the themes that we've been discussing with Sun Square Pluto are connected with Jupiter. Okay. So it's interesting to see that since um, Jupiter has made its conjunction with Pluto and is starting to separate, we get the contact from any other planet to Pluto first and then to Jupiter as long as it's not retrograding. Okay. So before and this was true with Saturn too. When, when we had Saturn and Pluto very close together, what we would see is something would hit Saturn first and then hit Pluto. So we'd, we'd come face to face with our limitations and that would bring up some things to be dealt with from the underworld or from the, the depths or from our id or from our will to power or from our instinctual nature. Now we may have contact with, with all of those things first and then we are taking some sort of action in response to that, that corruption or that uh, need, excuse me, that need for uh, transformation. So this week we may come face to face with some sort of deep, deep need to expose something to the light of day. And then the action or the bridge or the attempt at a solution afterwards. Now, will that solution be good? Mm, up for debate. Uh, all I, I do know that it will be difficult and, and Jupiter is not in its favorite place. So it may be corrupted. So potentially we could see like, well, I don't know if I was thinking about the context of the coronavirus, maybe we're seeing, I don't know, more, more shortages or people are getting very antsy about, uh, the economy or, or their livelihoods and the, uh, the solution that is enacted is let, leaves a lot to be desired uh, because of Jupiter's position. Now, other things that the, that the sun and Jupiter being in square could bring up, and this is some notes I have from uh, Ren Butler's great book, The Archetypal Universe, we could see things like excessive pride or arrogance, grandiosity, self-importance, uh, firm leadership, okay? Uh, something where, oh, actually, not firm leadership. My, my writing is small. From leadership, okay? Ethical conflicts, 
uh, bl blind spots in our ethical natures. Uh, it could be excessive dictates, it could be extravagance, corruption of morals, right? Our, our Jupiter is in, is in a fall. Ju Jupiter generally is associated with the moral obligations that tie us together the or the moral agreements that bridge us to the divine. And right now, Jupiter is grounded, basically. Uh, Jupiter has fallen to Earth, and, and it's very difficult for it to have contact with its higher self, right? Um, we could see exposure of underworld dealings, uh, dirty deeds coming to light, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I know I'm getting pretty burnt out on the dirty deeds that I'm seeing every day in the news. Uh, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And I'm sure that, that most of you out there are probably on some level starting to get frustrated with the circumstance. And, and uh, I don't know. Anyway, the other major planetary movement of the day And that's as like uh, judicious as I can be about that. I don't want to get into like a big rant about things again. I, I actually, full disclosure, I tried to record this this podcast once already today, and it just devolved into a bunch of tangents, <laughs> like and opinions. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I could I could do that, but at the same time. Uh, we must attempt at some point to be objective. And, and as an astrologer, I do think it is part of the job description to at least attempt some objectivity. Uh, I think it's, pretty, it's a pretty impossible ideal to strive for, to be completely objective. Um, but I think it's, it, it is a, a good thing as an astrologer to lean more towards in the direction of trying to interpret the purity of the symbols. Now you can connect that to earthly events and try to contextualize it. But every time you can try to contextualize the symbolic expression of these things, you can't help, I think, but have some kind of subjective consideration. And that's something I'm realizing that, that I'm definitely guilty of at times um, when I'm doing the forecast. And, and, and I'm going to go out on a limb and forgive myself for that because I'm a human, flawed human being. Uh, but I think that, long story short, um, if we can attempt to be a little bit more objective when we talk about these things, uh, I think that can be a great service to a greater number of people. And I think that that will ultimately be a bridge to helping more people, despite whatever ideological perspective they have, to get closer to the divine, which is what these astrologers of the past, that was really one of the, their main ethical considerations is, yeah, you've got the spinning of this chart, but you know, really, one of the reasons we study this is so we get connected to the center, and we really start to you know, release attachment to all these sp spinnings and happenings so that we can see our divine eternal nature. So I think that the more we, 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 the more clarity and the more purity that we have delivering these, the more people 
may be able to connect with this from a uh, from their higher self rather than getting uh, bogged down in the material expression of them okay venus in gemini too now this is a, a planetary position that i know some things about from my own subjective experience <laughs> like, oh man see i just i just venus and gemini you i i told you one thing and then <laughs> like found an attraction to the to the complete opposite so gemini 2 austin coppett calls the hermaphrodite which is able to have uh maintain uh both sexes at the same time uh, it is a mars ruled decan in the uh, descending Chaldean order, but a Venus ruled Deccan in the triplicity system, which is also very interesting. And this this Deccan is about uh, being able to um, handle opposites and being able to reconcile opposites. If you want to talk about Venus in in Gemini, uh, this can be either the i believe i'm going to quote austin here the joy of re re reunification and the tragedy of separation um so we're talking about contradictions we're talking about catharsis which is uh venus remember venus was responsible for the purity of the greek dramas in ancient greek civilization and those greek dramas were to help people release very strong emotions catharsis so we're having catharsis through the uh, the ability to hold duality or to unify it, to be able to, to explore uh, things that may be considered good, may be considered evil. Uh, the, the, there may, we may swing to extremes uh, when we're in our mental explorations, being an air sign, Gemini. Now, Mercury is a planet that is associated with androgyny, and also with ambiguity. And I would say also moral relativism. And I think that this is a, a pretty good example, just even my podcast today, of, of you know exploring opposite ideological things and maybe attempting to see another's perspective. Like that's something that is an inherent in my own um, personality, having this position. Um, like I said, I, I usually I will give someone a voice, and I already gave my disclaimer as to what, where the limit is and where the boundary is. Like if if your ideological perspective uh, puts others at harm or is uh, denying the rights of others to have their ideological perspective, then then that's the boundary. But within that boundary, there's a lot of room to to listen to one another. Okay, um, this could be a time frame where we're flip-flopping a lot in our love and, relation, and relationships between a feeling of, of love and a feeling of hate, <laughs> like where we're really like, uh, one day we may really be into our partners and the other day they may just really get on our nerves. Um, but I think that the real gift of this is trying to harmonize opposing viewpoints. And as I'm looking at uh, Venus and Gemini, I'm going to talk about the cards in a second, but I just wanted to, to have you aware that Venus is still in between 
the two malefic planets, but it is being uh, mitigated by a sextile ray from Mercury in Aquarius. I'm sorry, Mercury in Aries, seven degrees Aries, right? Now, one interesting phenomenon that we'll see here, and we'll talk about this as we get to the end of the week, uh, Venus is kind of chasing Mars right now, okay? They're very close to being into a, a perfecting a trine, but they're, but they're almost never getting there. You know, it's like, uh, it's like we're trying to come into agreement on something, but we just can't quite get it. And that really speaks to the, the hexagram that I got this week too, which was restraint. It's like everything seems like it's in place to bring a resolution, but we just can't rubber stamp it, you know? And that's really because what's happening is Venus is actually starting to slow down and preparing to retrograde. And it's never going to complete that trine with Mars uh, in, in Aquarius and Gemini. Um, and that may produce some frustration, I would say. I would say that could be a frustrating moment. Now, that being said, let's look at the Gemini Deccans here and see if we can ascertain our narrative. Now, one of the things that I like to talk about with the Deccans is a relationship with the theme of Mundi. Now, Gemini is the 12th house in the natal chart of the world. The natal chart of the world uh, had um, cancer on the ascendant. And this was a time in ancient Hellenistic times or ancient Egypt where the Nile would flood. And that was one of the rationales for cancer possibly being on the ascendant. The waters of life bringing abundance and fertility. But in, in that particular uh, natal chart that was recovered from antiquity, I guess, or written about by ancient authors, um, Gemini is on the 12th sign. And in traditional astrology, they, they call the 12th house the joy of Saturn and the place of potentially self-undoing the place of uh, necessity, where we, we may also think of it as the place of the bad daimon, the malus daimon, which is kind of like our conscience, kind of like a voice on our shoulder, a guiding spirit that is calling us to do either good or ill. The 11th house was called the house of the good daimon. And so the 11th house can be more associated with things that are egging you on to do things that are uh, in your best interest or in the best interests of, of the whole, um, where the 12th house may be pulling you off track, maybe a voice, the voices in our head that are pulling us off of our personal power, okay? And I think that the three cards of Gemini really speak to this very strongly, the eight, nine, and 10 of, of swords. First deck in Gemini, I see a, a figure that is bound uh, and feeling trapped okay second decan this is where venus is now we have a person who's who's up at night with some kind of nightmare uh who is potentially through an overabundance of options is having a mental breakdown and in the third decan we see the result of this so remember i told you we had the first decan being some sort of call to action or some sort of uh cause and the cause in this case may be too many options or many options or the feeling of duality or splitting. The second decan may be the process of going from the cause to the effect. 
right? Mental anguish, staying up at night, having a nightmare, feeling burdened or overwhelmed by an overabundance of options. And then the final decan of Gemini is this kind of uh, defeat. Uh, it's, that's not the name of this. That's the name of the first decan of Aquarius. But this one is called Ruin. Okay, And this may be where one, the story that is told uh, in Austin Kopic's book is about uh, the twins, Castor and Pollux. And in that story, one twin has to give up his immortality or die for the other to live. And that speaks to the need to uh, eliminate some of the options that we have so that other, other options and other ideas can live. If we try to keep too many things juggling in the air, too many plates in the air, uh, we're never going to achieve any of them, right? So sometimes we have to eliminate some of our options. Now, with Venus in the second decade of Gemini, we may be having some mental uh, existential crises about an overabundance of options and trying to work out and, and balance out these competing desires uh, within us. So that is something to be aware of as we, as we work through some of this stuff this week. Okay. On Thursday, the 16th, the moon is going to be in Aquarius again, or still in Aquarius. And the only aspect we have of uh, that day is uh, the, the moon will be making a conjunction to Mars. So you can see that right here. This is Thursday, very early, you know, around uh, 1 a.m. or so at 11 degrees. Uh, the moon makes a conjunction with Mars. And then we don't really have any other aspects on Thursday. So that's a great time, actually, to, to reflect without interference of other aspectual relationships perfecting. Um, to just get clear about what's going on in your last lunar cycle. Who are you? What, what kind of identity have you started to craft in the new normal, in the new reality? What kind of role might you, might you be able to take uh, in the new narrative? What kind of heroic call to action have you been gifted or has been bestowed upon you? Maybe you didn't ask for it. I don't think anybody asked to be stuck in their house during a global pandemic crisis. But again, if you go back to things like the Lord of the Rings, you don't get to choose the times that you live in, but you get to choose how you react and, and what kind of person you're going to be within it and, and how you're going to respond to the challenges. And that's like really astrology in general. I don't think you always get to pick all the events of your life. I don't think you create your own reality, <laughs> like, or at least not materially. I think that you may be able to create some of your own uh, mental reality. I think that we do that all the time. I think we put things, we put our experiences into categories and we create belief systems out of experience. A lot of times we'll take in experiences through our senses and we'll process it in our brain, and that will become uh, a judgment or a belief or something like that. And I guess one of the things that spiritual masters of the past have attempted to do, and this is something that I think the Taoists are famous for, you know, or the Buddhists, I don't know, for attempting, is to become a clear channel and trying to have a 
uh, oh, I don't know, an unfiltered experience of the presence, of the present. And, I, and I, my Freudian slip there is a good one, presence. Now, I know that this is a, a pretty high aspiration, but I guess what I would challenge you to do is to attempt at least a few times on Thursday or, or just in general to let your life ex- experience wash over you and be completely present without judgment. Can you just have an experience of it, of your, of your senses and of your reality without having to put it into a category, without having to have it elicit some strong emotion based on a a preconceived belief. Now I know that's very difficult. Like I said, it's, this is aspirational. I don't, I wouldn't fault you if you aren't able to do it, but I, I think that even a few moments of just pure undifferentiated awareness is very healthy. I think that this is really the goal of meditation too, is to shut off that voice uh, that we use to create belief system and just be. And a lot of the times we don't realize how much tension we hold because of the disconnect between our experience of our sensory reality and the preconceived belief systems that we have expect the world to fall into. And that's where a lot of suffering comes from, is, is when those two things don't match up. Remember, that's the gap I was talking about in creative reality, the gap between our taste and our skill set. Well, here we have the gap between our experiential reality and our idealized reality. Sometimes if you can just be with that gap and be with the uncomfortableness, that can be very therapeutic and that can be very healing. Um, And that can allow space for nature to continue to work on the problem or the divine to continue to work on what we perceive as a problem. Uh, and this is, this is the good thing about like looking at our chart, but not like, you know, getting too involved in our charts and the spinning of the planets. Doesn't mean we don't do anything. Doesn't mean we don't take action when it's necessary. But I think if you're able to quiet your mind a little bit and come, come to things from a, a more um, present experience, I think that's when you make actions that are much more in alignment with nature and with the nature of what is required rather than making uh, what could be perceived as a mistake, right? Or, or, and I only think of a mistake maybe being against the Tao, right? Being, trying to, uh, you know, go against the grain of the wood or, or try to, you know, paddle upstream. That's when we that's when we have suffering. That's when we start to suffer. So take some time out. Wednesday's a great day for it. As we move into Friday the 17th, the moon will be moving into the sign of Pisces at 2.29 p.m., continuing our last quarter phase. It's going to be sextiling the sun at 10.34 a.m. Uh, from Aquarius to Aries at 28 degrees. Uh, and then... The other thing that we're experiencing on uh, Friday is Mercury will be moving into the second decan of Aries. So a little bit different flavor 
for Mercury, for our communication style, for the way that we maybe do business with one another, for our ability to hold hold opposites and duality and ambiguity. Um, now, the second decan of Aries was represented by the three of wands. And we talked about this a little bit when I've talked about the sun in Aries, but I'll repeat here. Um, the first decan of Aries, the call to action is to separate from the mother and from the parent plant and from the divine and, and to uh, become aware of yourself as a, a differentiated being, right? Of something separate from the cosmic oneness. In the second decan, and, and that's a Mars world decan, so that's Mars severing, cutting, having courage to leave something, whether it's a, something that gave us comfort or, or not. In the second decan that's solar ruled, we're establishing that identity, that separate identity, and saying, this is who I am now. In the first decan, you're like, this is who I'm not. And maybe in, in Mercury and Aries, we may be communicating, this is what I am not. I reject this. I am not part of this system. I am not part of this organization. This person is not my friend anymore. You know, like this is, you know, this is kind of the saying, okay, this is what I, I am not. And as we move into the second decan, it's ruled by the sun. And the sun likes to say, this is who I am. So when we, when we get an awareness of who we are not, okay, then we get to figure out who we are and we shine our light as to who we are in that second decan and potentially communicate who we are. And as we move to the third decan, which is Venus ruled, that's when we harmonize with others, our own individual uh, vision with gaining a following, with uh, potentially get, gaining support. So with Mercury moving through the second decan of Aries, uh, this is a great time for sharing your unique perspective, shining your particular light, communicating those ideas, um, having uh, idiosyncratic exchanges with people. Um, one of the things that was talked about with this decan was in the second decan of Aries, we create our own worlds. We, we've left some other world behind and we're now creating our own world. Now, I know that I just got done saying that we don't necessarily create our own physical reality, but there are plenty of people out there that have created their own mental worlds and live within it. And they've shut out anything else that would be a threat to that. Now, that's one of the dangers of this position is shutting out anything that doesn't fit into your preconceived notion of what your worldview or what your, just your worldly experience should be. That's one of the dangers. Okay. Um, so this could be communicating some sort of personal message that you have. Um, this was called the crown or virtue uh, due to its, its connection with the sun. Now, this, the, the Mercury in Aries is going to play a really important role towards the end of the week. It's going to be an intermediary between Venus and Mars. It's going to attempt to connect these two planets okay, that want to connect through this trine, but just aren't able to. And it's going to connect to both of these through a sextile. So that may be the way that you harness the energy of Venus and distribute it to Mars, right? Uh, it, it's kind of like you're collecting the ideas of 
of these differing opinions from Venus, right? And you are seeing how it fits within a personal worldview and then distributing it to Mars in Aquarius too, which is concerned with uh, leaving behind the known and, and embracing something new. So that could be one of the narratives of your week, trying to receive Venus, many different perspectives, seeing how they fit and communicate how your perspective, Mercury and Aries, and then potentially taking action to bridge whatever gaps exist, whatever unknowns we have, or whatever shared reality we have to and create something new. I think that's part of that narrative that we're going to be seeing with the combination of those three planets. All right. So that's our Friday. Now on Saturday, the 18th, that's, that's when we see uh, Mercury making all these contacts. So we're going to have the build up to this, okay, on Friday. But we're going to see these, these aspects become exact very early on Saturday and then into the afternoon. So you may be having these conversations on Friday. Um, but then we're going to see maybe potentially some resolutions. So here at 1 o'clock, you see 1 or 2 o'clock. Actually, what time is that? Huh. So Mercury makes... Oh, yeah, okay. So I'm just... I'm just my brain's just melting here. So Mercury makes its exact aspect to Venus... Around one, uh, let's see, about 1.30 a.m. or so, okay? You can see that here. Mercury is making contact with Gemini at 11 degrees. So check out your chart where that's happening, okay? And then uh, at 11.55 p.m. around noon, you're going to see Mercury sextiling Mars at 13 degrees, okay? So see how this is working out here? And this is going to be true uh, with, you know, in your personal life too. The, the, the Aquarius, Aries, and Gemini areas of your life are going to be all connected this, this week, okay? And you may be having some conversations regarding those topics, so like, for example, we have a Sagittarius rising chart on the screen right now. Uh, Mercury's in the fifth. Venus is in the seventh and Mars is in the third. So just a very quick attempt at delineating this. Potentially, there could be conversations regarding your, with your children, Mercury in the fifth, or how you take pleasure in your life or things like that. Fifth house matters that are trying to bridge the gap between your partner okay, and either your neighbors or how you communicate with people or, or your community. So this could be like you Sag Risings out there. There's uh, potentially like just one example. Like um, I know around here, the schools are starting to go back uh, to, to requiring the learning that they're doing online. They had optional education for a while. And uh, starting on Monday, 
it'll be required again. So this could be like a, a thing where potentially, let's say you have a child at home that is learning and you need help from your significant other uh, to deal with the new the new learning and communication, which is, has associations with the third house. So that could be one way that potentially plays out. Okay. Um, so that's, uh, that's interesting. The other thing that's interesting about this, a couple of little notes I have about this. So all the planets are in new decans. Okay. So all the new planet, the planets that move into new decans this week are coming into conversation with one another. And really think of those planets as deities or as uh, people in a cosmic courtroom that are having a conversation on your fate, okay? And the conversation at this point is actually somewhat harmonious. Now, Mercury and Aries may be a little bit blunt or abrupt uh, or direct, but in general, the relationship between these planets is at least trying to negotiate in good faith. Another couple notes I had on this, negotiations and arguments, trying to reconcile opposing ideologies, Venus, right? Negotiations, Mercury. Conflicts over displacement or isolation, attempts to crystallize ideals into matter, Mars and Aquarius, and building a bridge between the beggar and the king. Uh, interestingly enough, Mars will be hosting Mercury, and Mercury will be hosting Venus. So lots of connections, lots of connections, okay? All right, so all of them are coming to the negotiating table uh, on Friday and Saturday. Okay, on the 19th, the moon moves into its balsamic phase. We've got one more kind of big astrological event that is happening on Sunday the 19th. And thanks for hanging out with me today. Appreciate all of you that are able to stick with the longer, uh, more detailed astrological offerings. That means a lot to me to get your feedback on that. But here you see at about 11 a.m. or so, uh, the sun moves into Taurus. First deck in Taurus, okay? And let's, a couple things we're gonna notice about our chart here. First of all, the sun is gonna be coming into a whole sign contact with the planet Uranus, who has been in Taurus for quite some time. Simultaneously, he's going to be making a whole sign square to all of the, Aquarian planets. And at the time, at this moment, those two planets are the malefics. Yay! Fun. Okay. So we're going to have the sun beginning to square first Saturn and then eventually Mars. Okay. And that is going to bring up some new challenges. <sighs> and where's the saving grace in this? I guess the saving grace is that the sun will be starting to also trine by whole sign Pluto and Jupiter. Um, it is an, inversion, an aversion with its host, Venus, which is not an idealized position. The, the, the sun in Taurus is not able to receive resources from Venus because it is in a place of, it's in a blind spot. So this may be a time, and this is actually affirming some other thoughts I had on this, the first decade of Taurus is really about uh, the fear of lack creating a desire to plan for material uh, reality, for planting seeds, for cultivating the, the, the land and the gardens of our lives. 
The tarot card associated with the first decade of Taurus is the five of pentacles. In it, we see two figures that are uh, sort of destitute. Um, they've fallen on hard times. One of them is on crutches, uh, and they're outside the stained glass window of a church. So either they are moving towards some kind of salvation or moving away from it, or the, the help that they need is there, is the point. But they are not in the best shape. Um, so some of the, the associations with this first decan, which is called uh, worry in Book T and Book of Toth, uh, and the Plow by Austin Kopic is that there's it's a planning stage for the fertility that wants to the fecundity. That's Austin's favorite word that I've learned from him. That's my favorite word that I've learned from him. <laughs> like uh, for an ability to create abundance and to to plow the fields and plant the seeds and grow the crops. And in in the Taurus tarot rule tarot decan cards you see some you know these figures that are destitute in the second decan you see them receiving some sort of alms from a wealthy benefactor and then in the third decan uh, there's a figure that has planted crops that is waiting for the fruition of something to to come into being so you can think of this as the planning phase first decan potentially out of fear of of lack Okay, moving towards a more charitable, profitable, abundant stage in the second decan. And then uh, the third decan being about uh, waiting, the patience required to see the fruits of one's labors or potentially even disappointment over what was created um, or, or defending our, our crops against threats like drought, uh, like um, bugs and pests pestilence, uh, decay, anything that would threaten the, the full flowering or the full potential of the seeds that we planted in that first decade, okay? So that's the narrative that we're going through there. Um, now, generally, this is like a, a nice time. Like, I, I really love Taurus season. I mean, I have Taurus moon, so that's part of the reason I like it, but <laughs> like... You know, we we getting into spring. The flowers are out, and the weather is starting to become fairly nice. Um, it's close to the uh, pagan holiday of Beltane, which was a, a celebration, of fertility of some sort. Um, and what we're seeing here is, yes, we may have some of those things, but it's definitely going to be severely curtailed by the position of the other planets, especially by Saturn and Mars. Because right as Taurus, our sun moves into Taurus, it almost immediately comes into a square with Saturn. So we may want to do all those things. We may want to go outside, plant the garden. Uh, we may want to plan for our year, for our season of growth. But we're coming face to face with limitation due to our, uh, the necessity of our isolation. And I say necessity. Saturn and Aquarius is, is making it very clear that it is, necess- it is necessary for us to keep our distance for, for the greater good. That is the, the divine assignment given to us by Saturn right now. That's what's going to bring things back into karmic balance is by doing the hard work of socially isolating. But that's going to be 
very, it's going to get more difficult as the sun gets into Taurus, I think. And as the sun moves into a conjunction with Uranus, we may have to be more innovative in the way that we use our resources. I know already one of the talking points in my state of Michigan is the part of the stay at home order was closing some of the um, garden centers uh, here um, to the public. Now, a lot of people got upset about that because they were like, well, I can't go buy plant stars and things like that or seeds or whatnot. And I, I think though, that the order was you can't go in the store and be around a bunch of other people. I don't think that it, it, the order states that you can't go buy plant starts and get the supplies that you need. You may just have to be innovative in the way that you, you do it, like how people are being innovative with their groceries right now and doing curbside pickup or things like that. Or potentially you might have to pick up plant starts from a local retailer or something like that. Um, so that may be part of the conflict. There may be something where people are are starting to really hurt financially from from being in isolation and from not having from being uh, under or unemployed um and where uh, people are really starting to get frustrated and angry squares are the nature of mars i think that's i think first of all we're going to come into the place of limitation when the sun hits saturn but when the sun hits mars i don't know when the date is on that exactly but it's going to happen, oh, I don't know, roughly in the middle, uh, 13 days or so after this, <laughs> like roughly at the beginning of May is when that's when the people are starting to get pissed is when, you know, the sun comes in contact via square with Mars. So that's when people are going to start to really just get frustrated with the limitations that they've been having to live, live under. Um, the other thing that may be happening is the sun maybe getting in that malefic enclosure. And I guess Venus will be helping for some time, but um, I'll have to look at that. That's coming in the future. I'll have to analyze that in greater depth, moving the chart forward. Um, but that could be a potential, potential, something that's potentially on the horizon as well. Um, so yeah, our vitality may feel a little bit inhibited. Vitality being one of the significations of the sun and inhibition being, you know, a signification of Saturn. Um, okay. So I think that's what I've got for this week. Uh, looking ahead to next week, the, the sun is going to perfect its square with Saturn on Tuesday the 21st. We have a new moon in Taurus at three degrees of, of Taurus on the 22nd Earth Day. Um, it'll be pretty close within three degrees of Uranus. Uranus new and full moons uh, are always interesting. <laughs> like whenever the moon and the sun are making contact with Uranus, that should be fun. Maybe a, a really new way of doing something that could be very innovative, hopefully. Uh, and then Saturday the 25th, Mercury is going to make a square to Pluto and Pluto goes retrograde. So we'll be retracing some of our, our platonic steps over the months ahead. And on Saturday the 26th, Mercury will be making a square to Jupiter, and then the sun will be conjoining Uranus at six degrees. So next week, Mercury is going to be making the same path that the sun went with the squares to Pluto and, and Jupiter, and then we'll have some Uranian fun, some Promethean excitement. So that's what I've got for this week. Uh, I hope that you all um, are doing okay out there. If you like these videos, make sure you're hitting the like button, subscribe, share it with your friends. 
Um, there's some links there if you want to donate to the work that I'm doing. I always appreciate that. And I hope that you're doing well out there. And I would encourage you to try to be kind to one another. Try to be open-minded if you can. Um, set healthy boundaries when necessary, and, but also try to see someone else's perspective as well. And I think that you will navigate uh, this moment and what is required of this experiential moment with more grace. So that's what I've got. Thanks, everyone. And I'll see you next time. Peace.